This is Alex Moskowitz of the Emery Wheel and Aaron Perlstein of BPA Hoops. You're listening to the Sixth Man Podcast on Anchor.fm. Welcome back, folks, to the Sixth Man Podcast. I am your host, Alex Moskowitz, alongside co-host Aaron Perlstein of Silver Waves Media. Today, we are joined by Bleacher Report's NBA writer, Yaron Weitzman. He recently wrote Tanking to the Top about Sam Hinkie's vision for the Sixers revolving around being historically bad in order to win championships later on. He also has recently written about the Celtics, Heat, and Bucks as part of Bleacher Report's 30 Teams in 30 Days series in preparation for the NBA restart. So, without further ado, please welcome our special guest, Jeroen Weitzman. Hello, Jeroen. Hey guys, how you doing? Thanks for having me on. Of course. So first, before we get into the NBA restart and your recently released book about the Sixers, Aaron and I and our listeners would like to know how you ended up as a premier journalist. You majored in sports management at NYU with a concentration in sports law. So how did that ultimately lead to you pursuing sports journalism? I got to tell you, by the way, you guys have done more research. You know more about my majors and what I did at NYU than I can remember. So <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I, I had forgotten, I think. I think that concentration is right. I don't think that's made up. I think that was, I don't know. I don't know what I did to earn a concentration in sports law. But sure. <laughs> um, so what did I do? Um, I, uh, you know, I, so the short, I'll do the cliff notes, right? I love sports, like all of us and most of my peers. Growing up, um, always loved sports, went to NYU to major in sports management because I thought, hey, I'll be a, a GM, right? That's fun. We're all mm-hmm. doing something like that because who doesn't want to do that? And this was also in the wake of the uh, Moneyball era, basically, right? Where it kind right. of changed the way we're all thinking about sports. We're all thinking about the transaction from the, from the front office perspective. Um, fantasy sports was playing a role, you know, all this stuff. The way sports was consumed really changed those years post money ball the rise of fantasy sports right and we see it now the idea of transactions being how we consume these things um so anyway wanted to do that then i realized i don't actually like business or that side of things i don't enjoy it i love the games and the sociological aspect of discussions and politics and all that um so i needed something else to do and i was always like okay i have decent writer i'll try that and basically i started blogging and writing for the school newspaper um the stuff i mean i enjoyed it i thought like a writer which was good like i would you know be somewhere and be like oh that's a good story idea and that was coming naturally to me the ideas weren't good and i think i was doing a lot of if you look back it was probably i probably cringe because i think there was a lot of um, bad bill simmons impressions and impersonations um mm. in terms of writing and things like that mm. um but i loved it and i got into it and then after college i was lucky you know friend of a friend type of thing where i got a job at a local paper covering high school sports and I was a girls high school basketball writer um and I loved it I loved being a beat writer on that like it sounds mm-hmm. to make fun of but I just love the idea of own, owning a specific beat and just knowing the names the players the coaches the information being familiar with things having like developing an expertise in a subject um and basketball is always my favorite sport and then again got an internship at slam magazine from there you start interning and writing and pitching places and going around and pitching and more freelancing and basically you know, I landed 
wrote a lot of stories, but my, you know, for The Ringer and ESPN, the magazine, SB Nation, long form. And then I pitched a uh, Adam Morrison profile to Bleach Report. <laughs> a, uh, where, oh, where are they now in Adam Morrison? And basically I went to Spokane, Washington and spent two days with him. And he, he took me to a shooting range and I watched him play golf with his friends and get drunk wow. and things like that. And, <laughs> and uh, that's awesome. And it was a good story. You know, it was a great story. It, it probably stole my best story, which is good and bad. Um, <laughs> And that got me in a door bleach report. And from there, I started covering the Knicks and the NBA. And I guess here we are. So I guess that would be the cliff notes. That's awesome. So what made you decide to write about the Sixers? Um, so I'm in New York. Um, I live in New York. And if you're in my job as a national NBA writer, and I say that not to say that I'm important. It just is my job is to find, to find stories that resonate with the national audience. Um, and in mm-hmm. New York, you have, to, you have to leave New York to do that often, right? Because the Knicks and Nets are not cutting it mostly. Um, uh, so right. the Sixers, I mean, I make, it's a joke, but it's true, right? So the Sixers, yeah. I was just kind of making, kind of looking around the landscape. Uh, this is, so let's say I had this job, was starting to write for Bleach Report a few years ago. Um, Simmons and Embiid are just on the rise there, right? And you kind of see Philly's pretty close. Mm-hmm. You know, I can drive down there in an hour and a half and it's just, playing the game you know making a read saying this team's going to be a team of the future they're going to be on the rise they're going to matter you know i'm not judging them on the court but they're going to matter let me see if i can start covering them and getting in there and making myself making them something that i know um and make myself more valuable that way too besides the part that like you know me enjoying it also lending value to myself as a reporter right like a sixers guy right um so i started going down there and doing that that's awesome so given uh, that you live in New York, have you, and you also cover the Knicks and the Nets, have you been able to see firsthand the dysfunction that occurs in the Knicks organization with your um, inside access? Yeah, okay, so a couple of things. The short answer is yeah. Um, I do sometimes wonder if you put a lens to any of these organizations, this sort of lens, right? Because I'll say the Sixers, the similar thing, right? And they're, they're also known for dysfunction and it's a similar thing. And so it's kind of, it's funny, the two teams I'm most familiar with um, that I know the most about that I've recovered the most are the Sixers and Knicks. And those are two of the most, I'll say maybe dysfunctional is not the proper words, but the most um, drama filled, right? Um, organizations in the yes. NBA. So it's a little, it's a little different. Like, it's like, I always think that maybe I'm skewed, but then maybe I, sometimes I wonder, and I've talked about this with colleagues, like, Maybe if I, you know, I wrote a book on the Indiana Pacers and I spent two years talking to 150 people about them, right? Like maybe I'd find similar things. Um, so I always, I'm not sure. I always wonder about that. Um, the other part, but then, but, the, but then the answer to your question, yeah, no, like there, you, you talk to people, you get to know people, you see things and you get an idea of how, you kind of start to see examples of how, you know, things like we make fun of Dolan, but how his paranoia can trickle down in a way that can affect the team on the court so for example so worried so much time and energy get devoted to things like is this assistant coach talking to the media as opposed to wondering you know and meetings are being devoted to that as opposed to energy being devoted to how do we put a better basketball team on the floor things like that and you see those examples come through wow that's fascinating i mean it makes you wonder like given the next position in the market and the fact that they are the most valuable team in the NBA outside of the Lakers, they and the Lakers kind of alternate. You, you look at it and you're like, how can they be this bad for this long? But it makes sense when you have that inside information 
and then inside perspective on the actual dysfunction that goes on in the Knicks organization. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no question, Ray. Just saying, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I agree. You know, it's um, it was yeah, it's again getting, getting to know people around the team or within the team, and you start to see and hear these examples, and it's um, yeah, it's it's telling. You see how it's held back. It, it's very easy to say James Dolan is the problem, but you see why. And, you know, again, that's I always think that's that that's one of our jobs as reporters is to kind of get past the cliche and ex- show, not just tell, but show through details, how is X leading to Y, right? Like what, what, how, unpack the cliche and show what that means and how, why that should, why you as a fan should care. So like when we make fun of the Knicks for media access, it's not that, I'm not, I, I don't think most reporters aren't saying that because we're offended that the Knicks don't talk to us. Like, I don't really care, right? It's mm-hmm. showing the idea of how much energy is devoted to this nonsense and also, saying you know you should u.s fans should care u.s customers should care that the team doesn't feel like it needs to speak with you so things like that yeah so in a forbes interview you refer to sam hankey and joel Embiid as the two most interesting characters in your book tanking to the top what makes both of them so interesting in your opinion um okay hankey i mean hankey's an all-time fascinating character just mm. and because he's very much he's He's like a paradox, right? He's very much the cliche you, you think he is and also not at all. And it's really interesting, right? So you think of him as a numbers guy and sort of the, um, you know, not, not socially awkward, not people friendly, you know, just all data. And he's very much that. And he does say strange things. And like there's an old interview he does where he talks about the first time he met his future wife and like coming back and like applying basically this sort of like logical, not actually math equation, but just saying, you know, I thought about the odds and then realized I was better off spending the rest of my, I'm butchering the quote, but just something where it's like, come on, this is, these are emotions. These aren't like, this isn't. (laughs) So stuff like that. But there's also, so he does plenty of that. um, But he's also somebody who like believes in the power of sports, right? Like the cliche, like magic stuff. Um, And he's somebody who is both socially awkward and viewed players as assets, but also, was incredibly caring. Like there's a lot of paradoxes there that makes it really interesting and hard to pin down. Um, so there's that. And I mean, the other part is he just did something we don't see often where he stuck. He chose his idea or his principles over employment. And we don't see that very often in mm-hmm. high levels anywhere. Um, you could agree or not, right, with what he was doing, but you have to give him credit for that, I think. Um, right. Embiid, I mean, Embiid's also a bit of a, you know, Embiid, we, everyone, I get this all the time when I, I've written a few times, you know, Embiid is a, um, he's an introvert, right? I've written that. People say, what do you mean Embiid's an introvert? Like, what are you talking about? He's hilarious. He does this on Instagram. Yeah. And it's, and it's very different. Like, you know, and I think it's very um, millennial, right? That you can be funny on Instagram and you can be outgoing on social media, but when it comes to interacting with other humans, maybe not so comfortable, right? Um, and he's allowed and outgoing, but if you unpack his past, um, like growing up, he was tall. He was the weird tall kid, you know, and stood out among his friends and around his, uh, he grew up in, you know, neighborhoods and stuff like that. So just, again, I guess it's the paradox, the things that he's got, or contradictory behaviors or, or traits that make these people fascinating. Yeah, uh, well, you know, talking about Sam Hinkie, uh, just like, you know, your aspirations, I always, uh, I think about my, myself getting into a front office with the scouting and everything, but you know, that's a wild dream. But um, you know, I, I really love to look at 
general manager is, you know, transaction history. Um, and I mean, the last few things he did before he got fired was he signed Christian Wood to two 10 day contracts and then signed yeah. it to a, con- a like full season contract. I mean, as we know, like Wood's a big part of Detroit Pistons now, like he'll probably get a 20 million uh, plus contract this year. Um, and Elton Brand, like, you know, he released him a few weeks into his job. Like, do you think Sam Hinkie should have kept his job? Uh, you know, was it a success? Everything like that. So do I think he should have kept his job? Is that you're asking? Yeah. Um, uh, no, right. Everything I'll say, no. Um, mm-hmm. I think he ignored parts of the job that matter. Um, I think, you know, it's a principles are great and I, I admire that, but it's also the NBA is a small world. And I think he dropped the ball a lot in terms of the, um, managing of people, um, knowing that understanding that the NBA is different business. So like, yeah, in a way he got the rug pulled out from under him and it's Josh Harris, the Sixers owner, you know, I think he had, Hinky had made very clear upfront from the beginning what he was trying to do um, in terms of the teardown. He got signed off. All of a sudden, they reverse course, right? So in a way, that's not on him. It's not completely fair. Um, but there, he also made some mistakes, right? He made some mistakes along the way and was not was not. He wasn't up. Well, two parts. He wasn't up front. He wasn't. He didn't seem willing to confront those mistakes. And I'm, the part that I'm most confused about always, and I've never gotten a good answer on this, and I've brought it up to people. Hanky um, is one of these people he preaches, you know, divergent thinking. It's good to have all these different perspectives and viewpoints in the room, right? He's big on that. Mm. And yet when it came down to it, if you look at the team they built, the Sixers, not the team, the front office team, I should say, um, it was him. His main group was him. It was this guy, Sachin Gupta, and uh, Sachin, excuse me, Sachin Gupta and Ben Falk were the main guys. These, those right. two, not, none of them had played even college basketball. They all came from an analytics perspective. They all approached the game in similar ways. They're all brilliant. All three of them, right? Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am surprised that he never followed his own advice and brought in a different perspective into the room. So an Elton Brand type as an assistant GM, right? Like I think right. having a guy like that would have made a huge difference. And I don't know. He refused. For somebody who, for somebody who claims to... He he kind of he kind of he kind of did a lot of behavior that he that he was bothered by, right? Like you would say right. people are open-minded, this and that, and yet he seemed to adapt some of those things as well. And so in the end, um, yeah, I mean, again, listen, there's no there's no question the process worked, and I think he did better than obviously he was better than Brian Colangelo, and he put the Sixers <laughs> in the position they are now. Oh, yeah. But Definitely. I do think, but I do think he made mistakes, and I think it was valid to have his like you know he made he made mistakes, and they were fireable offenses in what he did. Right. That's interesting. So from the pre-COVID-19 normal to today, where the NBA is finally going to restart a season in just over a week, do you think the Orlando bubble will work and an NBA champion will be crowned in 2020? Um, God. Uh, it's a hard question. Obviously, you're not privy to the medical data. but Yeah, no. <laughs> I think I'd bet yes. I think I would bet yeah. I mean – yeah, I'm gonna bet yes. It's gonna be crazy. It's gonna be hard. I mean, listen, no. Te- it's easy for me to say it now. Like you know, now everything's looking good, right? There were no positive cases in that last uh, that last round of testing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Then again, as we know with this, it only takes one, to, and then from there, it could spread like spread like wildfire, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, though I think I think that the financial incentives are really great. Like they're they're gonna push, right? And I'm not I'm not saying that in a danger, and I'm not saying that in, that it's necessarily immoral. Like there there are valid 
economic reasons to give us a legitimate shot. And I don't just mean so like, you know, LeBron James can make an extra five million. Like there are thousands of thousands of jobs and millions of industry dollars tied to this and people dependent on the NBA um, happening, right? It doesn't mean like media jobs, um, sponsorships, market, all these kind of everything. There's all these things. It's a giant faucet that we're turning on. So I think there are really valid reasons to give this a good shot. Um, but, and, but even for them, the money's so great. Like, uh, yeah, I think things would have to go really bad for it to not, for it to not go through. And obviously the Florida, the situation in Florida or in Orlando around there is not ideal. Um, but I do think they're going to really keep this bubble like, um, yeah. so if you were asking me to bet, yeah, I'll bet that it goes through. That if we finish yeah. It. I mean, inherently it's supposed to work. You have a bubble with no one that has it, but you know, that means everyone has to <clears throat> listen to the rules and everything. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. Opinion. But they, they've been pretty strict about quarantining. Like a, a few guys, they went to go pick up postmates and accidentally crossed the bubble lines. And had to quarantine for eight days. Listen, like, because the guys like Rashawn Holmes, guys like that, they're yeah, like, these exactly. guys, they're, they're not worried about, um, yeah, I guess the real test if LeBron crossed the quarantine. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, people, <laughs> yeah, of course. Like, That's the I difference. Think, so it's like, okay, maybe we give an exception. But otherwise, like, it's, there's a lot of money here. And Rashawn Holmes is, these guys make a lot of money, but it's not comparable. Right. right. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's the precedent and like uh, what the society thinks of what they're doing. You know, it's funny. I was watching the games yesterday. They're sweating all over each other, but then when they go to the bench, they're socially distant. Uh, yeah, I was I actually, it, it's funny you say that. I was actually, I was going to ask, I was wondering about that too. I'm confused. I mean, maybe again, it's just a, okay, just like the whole idea of risk mitigation is like, just because we open a door a little bit doesn't mean we have to crack it open. Like each thing adds, but I, right. I do think it's funny that there were, there were not, there were no precautions taken on the court yet. Everyone's sitting far away. Yeah, it's funny. right. It's, it was, that was the first thing that came to my head. I was like, okay, like, I, is this just for show? Cause they were just sweating on each other and playing basketball. Yeah. So yeah, it could be just for show too, in a way. Right. I mean, or maybe it is something, maybe, yeah, you know, I honestly don't know. It's funny you say that. I was wondering a similar thing. Yeah. So, so for your 30 teams and 30 days special for Bleach Report, you recently wrote a fantastic article about the Bucks detailing how they have put themselves in position to capture their first title since 1971. Do you think they will finally get it done? And what are some of your other predictions for the NBA, for the NBA playoffs? Um, I'm going <laughs> to – not a cop out. I have no idea how to even go about <laughs> prognosticating or predicting anything that we're going to see in this bubble. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> like I, have, I have no idea. If you asked me – take the bubble out of it. Like, you know, if the bucks were continuing, um, I was dubious a little bit of their, um, some of the stuff I wrote about, right. The idea of how are they going to counter when a team loads up on Giannis, right. Do they yes. have enough, enough punch, enough diversity in their offense to, you know, create where like, you know, sometimes you get to the conference finals and, and again, these are like conference finals, finals problems, right. These aren't for a second round, but you get there and, you know, you need to actually hit a mid-range jumper. Um, you need exactly. to have something like that, where three, all threes in, you know, layoffs is not a viable um, solution or not a viable directive to go. Um, so, and I'm, I'm worried, yeah, I'd say I'm a little dubious about that, that they're counter to the kind of defense the Raptors put up against them in Giannis last year, which was basically just build a wall. And I know they had Kawhi last yeah. year, so that obviously makes a difference. But still, you know, they have other, they still have lots of bodies. They're still really smart. Um, Philly is basically specifically built to take on Giannis and the Bucks defensively, right? Um, 
So it's going to come down to can these guys hit open shots? Um, and I don't know. I mean, a big part of it is Giannis. Like, how will what kind of pass, how will he read defenses when they send doubles on him? Will he make a pass? Like, will he just kick it out, or will he be able to punish um, a double? So there's a big difference there, right? Um, so I'm not sure. If you're asking me to bet, I don't even know. Before the before the before the uh, shutdown, I probably still would have bet on them. I guess. Um, Boston, though, is very intriguing, um, too. I think they're five. They can score a lot. They're small. It'll be fascinating matchups. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I'm not sure. I'm intrigued by Philly now, too, right? I think they're a mess, but this lineup change, if they're willing to stick with it and put a mm-hmm. forfeit on the bench, um, this team makes sense. And now Embiid could be healthy. And they haven't had a healthy Embiid in the playoffs in two years. So, yes, I mean, I guess going about this now, I have no idea. You know, I really don't yeah. know. Uh, I, mean, I agree Gian- with you. Here, is Giannis Aaron, your so. MVP? Uh, yeah. 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 Okay, good. Because there have been a lot of debates recently, especially on First Take and all these different talk shows, about whether LeBron should actually get the MVP. So, you know, it's, what, it's what's your opinion to me, it's on very that? Clear. to me, it's very clearly. I mean, honestly, uh, LeBron had a great year, but it's very clearly Giannis. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, the fact that he's averaging 30, 13, and 6. For a team that is clearly the best in the NBA. And honestly, I think the two games before the COVID-19 pause were the best indication of how important Giannis is to his team. Because he was injured. He got injured against the Lakers. And then they got smacked by the Suns. Typically, the best defense in the NBA let up 142 points. Or maybe 140. But... Yeah, I think that was the perfect indication of how important Giannis is, is to their team in, in addition to all the individual stuff that he brings. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's, there's no – you want me to answer? Yes, Giannis is very clearly important to the team. No, but, like, it's – they are um, – what's the word? That Seth Partner uses a helio. I don't know, heliocentric. I don't know if that's the right word. Um, Seth mm-hmm. Partner, like, athletic uses that. But, no, the, I mean, everything they do is built around him. I will say – you know, we can go nerdy a little bit. Um, the most underrated par aspect player on their team, I would say, is not I would say, it is Brooke Lopez, right? Well, two things. Yes. You know, Middleton had a great season, but what Brooke Lopez does defensively is incredible. The idea that they yep. basically build an entire scheme where they funnel player uh, dribblers to him. He walls off the paint. He is the best maybe rim protector in the NBA. He doesn't foul. And he's also maybe the best um, – Boxer out, boxer outer. He's the best at boxing out in the NBA. Um, he doesn't get a run of rebounds, but his box out is numbers are great in terms of the percentage of defensive rebounds the Bucks pull while he's on the floor. And a lot of that leads to their transition break. So he'll box out and then Giannis will put on the rebound and three dribbles later he's dunking, right? Um, right. And I yeah. think and – and his ability to stretch the floor, I know he didn't shoot well this year on offense, but just if you were to build – pick the perfect center – to pair with Giannis, um, it, it's probably literally Brook Lopez, right? And the fact that they got him, and I think that's an underrated aspect of their success. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if we're talking analytically, that's uh, I love to talk like that. Um, ben Simmons, uh, I'm not a very big uh, believer. You know, if I look at the, uh, the real statistics, you know, he was 48th percentile in total offense this year. It's just average. You know, he only scored 42% of the time in pick and roll where, a lot of scouts and uh, analytics try and say that, like, he's one of the best in the league. Uh, he actually turned the ball over 22% of the time in pick and roll. Um, obviously, defensively, he's there. But, you know, when is 
when it's his inability to shoot and, you know, some of the inefficiencies, leapfrog the athletic upside and potential that everyone talks about. So, so when, so what, what's the question? When is it going to be? Do you, who do I like when can we actually hold him accountable and, you know, start, you know what I mean? Everyone always talks, well, yeah, but a potential, this is only his third, fourth year. Um, but at some point, you know, we have to talk about that, you know, he's not as efficient uh, analytically as a lot of people think he is. No, it's a, it's a problem. I think, so it's interesting. So some of the analytic numbers are good on him, right? Cause he's a, cause of, he, cause he's not shooting a lot. So right. His field goal percentage is pretty good. Um, right. Defense, defense really good rebounding stuff like that. No, but to answer your question, it's a legitimate question. I don't, anyone who says, right. It's two part. Anyone who says it's an overrated question is, is wrong, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. misguided. It's, it's an important question, right? You have a point guard who can't, and more importantly, won't shoot. Um, I know he's not the point guard now. But he's still going to get a lot of minutes, right? right. Um, not all his fault, right? He, ha- he happens. He's one of the few stars on it. He's one of the few superstars on a team, or one of the few people on any team, where um, where there's a superstar center with him, right? We we don't really have many superstar centers anymore. Um, the Sixers happen to have two have to happen to have Simmons and Embiid, so two guys who are not shooters, or they're two best players, right? That is rare today, um, mm-hmm. and that's more of an accident, right? Like you wouldn't not take those guys. They just ended up with those two guys. Um, so that obviously creates all sorts of, you know, square peg and round hole problems. Um, but it's a legitimate question, and I'm not sure. You know, we've seen the past couple of postseasons that it's when you get into the second round, it doesn't work, right? His style of play, it just they wall up on him to get back on defense, things like that. I'm intrigued right. to see what it looks like this year with them doing him a little more, using him a little more as a four man, maybe rolls more as a roll guy, um, ducking kind of off ball stuff if he's willing to do that, and then he'll push the ball on fast breaks also. Um, it's a fascinating question. I don't know. Can you can you win with him? Like, can you will, will you ever right. be able to win a championship with Ben Simmons like this? Honestly, I think it's a fair question. I don't know. I mean, the answer would be, I guess, if you swapped him and Giannis, right? If you built a team right. around, so he was in the middle, and you built everything around him to accentuate his strengths and hide his weaknesses. Um, maybe then, right? Maybe that's it. But he's not as good as Giannis. He's right. not a top six player. He's a top eighteen player, right? And there's a difference. Right. You know, like this, this kind of came to my head because, you know, I was on Twitter and all these, um, you know, young guys talked about basketball like me, you know, they, they put out a poll. Would you rather have Jason Tatum or Ben Simmons? And a lot of people were picking Ben Simmons and saying, you know, it's a clear answer. There's That's athletic crazy. ability. There's, you know, he'll find his shot, things like that. But I'm like, at some point we have to be like, well, he's not shooting, you know, Everyone keeps saying it'll be next year, it'll be this year, like he'll start doing it, but he's not. And I don't see how you can even say you would take Jason, you would take him over Jason Tatum. I find, I put this down on Twitter, I think a fascinating question is which of the, um, which, of, which team's young duo would you prefer, the uh, Embiid, Simmons, or Tatum, Jalen Brown? Um, yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I'm a Embiid, Embiid's probably the best, not it probably, he's the best player there, right? But you're taking the health right. risks and all that. It just, I find that, it's, I, that's, I find that to be an interesting one also. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, playing through a center, playing through a forward, and I think that gives you a big um, advantage in the NBA these days. Um, I think I would take Embiid and Simmons just because of the sheer potential of Embiid and, you know, how he can just dominate. Uh, but, yeah, that's interesting. And also, yeah, I think in terms of the Ben Simmons conversation, you have to talk about the fact that he got a huge extension that was pretty debated last year. A huge five-year, $170 million max extension. And the Sixers were betting on his potential and him improving this year 
over the previous two years because there wasn't that same there wasn't really that leap from his rookie year to his second year and he hasn't really done that this year he's arguably been worse so yeah I think Aaron the point that you raise is completely fair I think we have to start holding Simmons to the standard of an elite player and a guy who's getting paid to be that max player and the star of a team given that he's in that position the Sixers have tried to you know establish a team and build a team that will be ready to win now given that they went through such a long rebuilding process as detailed by your own and taking to the top so yeah I think I think Ben Simmons he has some serious work and I think he's going to be one of the players to really look out for because people have been talking about his improved shot will he actually do it in front of no fans with no fan pressure in the in the NBA restart so I think that's one thing to definitely look out for. So, Yaron, obviously you have been super vocal about um, about combating yeah. anti-Semitism, and that was in wake of the Deshaun Jackson comments. I know personally, as a Jew, I was, you know, I, I was super inspired by what you wrote on Twitter and the fact that you spoke out in such harsh terms against anti-Semitism. And obviously there's clearly no place for it. So it is clear that even pro athletes with like a vast amount of resources who have agents that are Jewish, no numerous Jewish people within the industry can adopt anti-Semitic views. So what can us in the media world do to combat hate in all forms and improve the standing of all minorities in the United States? Um, so I, (laughs) short answer, I don't know. Right. But no, I, speaking out, I guess is the easy answer. I do think, I guess, here's how I, here's, I'll put it. And it's funny. So I I interviewed Ray Allen yesterday. He's written about a lot about how his um, His Auschwitz article is great. Yeah, exactly. His education to um, learn about and anti-Semitism. But the idea being that it's not supposed to be so different than all hates, right? I think it's, it's easy to be applauded. It's easy to speak out against discrimination or prejudice, I should say, against your own kind, right? That's easy. And like, I said this to Ray Allen, I'm like, you know, you're the most popular and we all love when people do it for us, right? So I said to Ray Allen, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, no black man is as popular among the Jews as you are, right? right. <laughs> like right now, because for that reason. <laughs> I think the whole game is though, are you willing to speak out against prejudice against other communities right are you able to hold your own community to account for prejudiced views or feelings towards others right that's the whole game i think like that's that guy zach zach banner banner i'm gonna forget yeah yeah um yeah he had the best i he his, what he said was perfect because when he spoke out he, he, you know, gave that video, the uh, emotional video, crying and saying he wishes he saw more people speaking out on behalf, more people from his community, from the black community speaking out um, or denouncing the anti-Semitic comments or posts or whatever. But then he also said, I want to change my, my uh, avatar back. Um, I don't want to be, I, I want to see you guys, you being Jews, keep supporting us, right? I think that's the whole game, right? It's like, right. not just to applaud other people when they say, yeah, when they say, you see, like, yeah, he knows, like, we're hated too, right? It's... You know, we got to show the empathy and understanding to others. I think it's empathy and education. And I'm not saying anything, I'm not saying anything that's like, um, that no one else has ever said before, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly, um, exactly. But I do I think, think that's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, 
Uh, no, I mean, I, I follow you on Twitter and, uh, you know, it really, really made me happy. And, uh, you know, I messaged this to, uh, to you. Um, it was just really nice to see because it just felt like a lot of the people and like no one would really speak up, you know, uh, you know, obviously Alex and I went to a Jewish day school. Um, I'm huge into, you know, defending Judaism um, and all that. Uh, and I, you know, it was really, um, it was really nice to see that someone like you, someone in that's, you know, prominent in the NBA reporting, um, speak up. And, you know, I think you, you did really make a lot of people on Twitter think about it and actually really make a change. Um, yeah, no, so, so that's, so yeah, so there I'm doing the thing where I'm saying you're not supposed to do. I guess I view it that I have enough people and I don't, I'm not, this is not me having an ego, right? But there are enough non, um, there are enough people in the NBA or people who don't know a ton of Jews who maybe mm-hmm. follow me on Twitter or whatever I say. So that's where I do that, right? But then it's also important to, yeah, do the other thing too. It, it's, Again, I mean, this is like I'm not saying anything deep or original here, but it's 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 just it's just it's all about education and and empathy and being willing to hold all forms of prejudice to account, right? And I guess and yeah, so I guess I, I yeah, I was certainly frustrated by what was going on in the NBA over the past few weeks, and it's something I'm going to continue to try to write about and report on in ways that matter, but not but I also think it's about not just like not to get all cancer culture, but it's not about just shaming people. It's about trying to find the root of the problems, right? And addressing those two. Right, um, right. Like I, I, I do think this is a different conversation. It, to me, on the outside, there seemed to be a difference between Deshaun Jackson and Steven Jackson. To use them as an example. Yes, Deshaun Jackson seemed to me to be pure ignorance. Because um, you know, even David Duke wouldn't try to quote Hitler, right? It'd be like more right, of a George right. Soros thing, right? Like nobody actually just quotes Hitler. He just, I mean... I, it's, I'm not convinced that Sean Jackson knew what the Holocaust was because I don't, you know, before yeah. that. No, I, yeah, I agree. Um, where Stephen Jackson is, I mean, he's mentioning Rothschild stuff, which he's clearly means he's done some, and I'm going to use reading in quotes, right? Like he's clearly done some sort of research. That seems to be a going for the wrong sources type of thing. Um, so there's a big right. difference there. Um, and that seems to be more anger and hate. And I think there, it's about understanding the differences there and not looping them all in. So I'm okay with people making mistakes if they show a willingness to address them through education. I mean, that's why the Dwayne Wade's tweets bother me because he just tried you know, writing it off after he supported Nikan and he tried writing it off as like, ha-ha or whatever. And, you know, I'm supporting his brand and blah, blah. And he didn't actually right, address right. the issue. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. So thank you so much, Aaron. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today about, obviously, your new book uh, that was released in March, Tanking to the Top, your different articles that you've written for Bleacher Report, the NBA Restart, and, and anti-Semitism and racism in all form. So thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys, for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much for uh, joining, guys. We will be back here soon. Um, Stay safe.